Having said that, we're going to be going here in just a moment to Romans chapter 1. So if you want to turn in your Bibles or, uh, or on your tablets or phones or whatever to Romans chapter 1, I invite you to turn there as I set up this sermon. We're on this series going, talking about going through a biblical worldview. And we talked about how God created everything. Based on a biblical worldview, God created everything and God created everything good. Remember, we have to understand that God is the creator. A biblical worldview starts with God. God is the creator. We're not here by chance. We're not here by accident. God is the creator and God created everything good. That's a biblical worldview. Second part of a biblical worldview is creation fell. We saw that in Genesis 3. We see that through the rest of the Old Testament. Creation fell. Creation is depraved. We began that last week. We're going to continue that in a moment. We are redeemed. Jesus has redeemed us, but we are not restored yet. We're talking about restoration in Sunday school right now. Restoration will happen in Revelation 21 and 22. Isaiah 65 and 66, we see that. Isaiah 60. Restoration will happen in the new heaven and new earth. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We live in a fallen world. We see evidence of sin all around around us. We see evidence of depravity all around us. We see evidence that we live in a fallen world all around us. But that's not how God meant for things to be. And someday, we are redeemed now by the blood of Jesus. If you trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are redeemed now. But things are not made new yet. Someday, God is going to restore all things. So this is a second Sunday talking about depravity. That's what uh, theologians during the um, Renaissance period used to call it, depravity. Humanity is totally depraved. We cannot save ourselves. We need divine intervention. And Romans 1 talks about the extent of our depravity. When I was a senior in high school, I was talking with a friend of mine. We were in junior ROTC together, and we were walking out of... um, We were walking out of math class, if I recall. You know how you can remember certain memories very vividly. You can remember where you were. And we both had math class after lunch. And I was talking about my Christian faith. We're walking down the hall. And she says, I make up my own religion, Steve. You know, and I didn't, I didn't stop to argue with her at that point or debate her and say, well, here's the apologia for the faith. I didn't do that. And I don't think that that would have been right at that point. She was closed to it. I make up my own religion, is exactly what she said. Just over a year before that conversation, I had another conversation with a girl named Laura. I was working at Jack's Aquarium and Pets, and that was one of my most favorite part-time retail jobs. It's a pet store that specialized in tropical fish. And at this point, I was working at the Jack's Aquarium and Pets north of Dayton and Inglewood. It was a snowy day outside. In fact, if I remember correctly, uh, Jack's ended up closing because of snow later on. But whether the store is closed or not, you still have to take care of the animals. You still have to feed them and water them and all that stuff, right? And so we're taking care of the animals. The store's closed. I'm talking about my Christian faith with a girl named Laura. And Laura said to me, everybody's a Christian, Steve. Everybody's a Christian. How do we get these ideas that we can just make up our own religion? How do we, where does that come from? How do we get these ideas that everybody's a Christian? Clearly, everybody is not a Christian. Jesus himself said, many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus said the way is narrow. The path is wide that leads to destruction. A number of years ago, I, talked, I, I found out some people from my, the church I served in Cincinnati did not believe in hell or demons. 
How do we get these ideas that we can cut and paste with the Bible? Cut out what we don't want and paste in what we do want. I read an article that was very interesting uh, last week about the Jefferson Bible. Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers, very smart guy, very brilliant guy, but he was a deist. He did not believe in Jesus. Um, he didn't, so he took the Bible and he cut out most of the miracles, which, by the way, is like most of the Gospel of Mark, I think it talked about. And actually, for, for many years, from the mid-1800s maybe to the early 1900s, everybody in Congress got their own Jefferson, Jefferson Bible. Isn't that neat? You know, isn't that special? Jefferson Bible. So he, he did what we do today. Cut out of the Bible we, what we don't believe. He cut out all the miracles of the Bible and things like that. And then we add to the Bible what we, don't, what, what we think should be there. We cut, we cut out of the Bible what we don't like. We add to the Bible what we think should be there. What gives us the authority to do that, though? How do people get the idea that they can make up their view of God? How do people get the idea that they can believe whatever they want to believe? How do people get the idea that they can cut from the Bible what they don't like and paste into the Bible things they wish it would say? Who do we think that we are to do this? Are we equal to God? Are we equal to God? And, and the ultimate answer is the culture we live in. Our culture is what is called post-modernity. It's a post-modern culture. And I want to come back to that in a few moments. But, but even if our culture is a post-modern culture, which believes truth is relative and different things like that, the ultimate problem is sin. These lies, believe whatever you want to believe, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and the Garden of Eden and the devil, uh, Lucifer, taking possession of a snake, a serpent, and tempting Eve, saying, did God really say that? There's nothing new. Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. We're just continue to be used of the devil that way, used of sin that way, used of sin nature that way, used of fallenness. The ultimate problem is depravity. Our problem is that we do not want to submit to God's word and God's authority. By the way, once again, there's a fill in the blank in the bulletin, and that's the next one, the first one. We do not want to submit to God's word and God's authority, do we? I mean, how arrogant are we to think we can live however we want? If I, don't, if I want to take part in that particular sin, I'll just cut out of the Bible. That's not sin to me. I'll just believe whatever I want. You know, people will say, if I don't believe in hell, that means it doesn't exist. Uh, that's not really true. I mean, you may not believe in automobiles, but if you walk on 680, you're going to get flattened by one. It doesn't work that way. You cannot make up your own belief system. We're in a sermon series about worldview, as I said. Everyone has a worldview, okay? World, a worldview in itself is not bad. Christians have a worldview. Non-Christians have a worldview. Everybody has a worldview. A worldview is not world... Uh, well, a worldview could be worldly. What I'm saying is we need to have a biblical worldview. Our view of the world. Just think of it this way. A worldview is how we view the world. How you view the world. Do you view the world through the Bible, or are you viewing the world through the mass media of the day or something like that, okay? Everybody has a worldview, but we need our worldview to come from the Bible. 
So today, we're going to take a step further from last week. Today, I want to look at a passage in Romans that shows how depraved humanity is. My theme today is Christianity. My theme today is creation is totally depraved. Creation is totally depraved. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32 shows the possible extent of our depravity. The possible extent of our depravity, our fallenness. My application... We need divine intervention. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot fix ourselves. We need help only from God. By the way, through this whole sermon series, and we're going to keep talking about it through Christmas and next year. You're always going to hear me say it, though. The other application is test everything. Test everything with the Bible. You turn on a Christmas movie, open your Bible. What is this Christmas Hallmark movie saying about Christmas? Is it it what the Bible says Christmas is about? And again, I'm telling you, that doesn't mean you turn off the movie. It doesn't mean you don't enjoy it. It it just means you recognize the dichotomy. There's a difference between God's way and the world's way. And God's way is always right. Before we get into Romans 1, though, allow me to welcome you to post-modernity. Post-modernity. I asked how 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 people get the idea that they can create their own authority. And this is called post-modernity. You may know of it as post-modernism. Post-modernism. Uh, and I think there's a little difference. Postmodernism, I believe, generally has to do with art and decor and architecture, whereas postmodernity has to do with the culture we live in. Modernity preceded postmodernity. Modernity was all about facts and figures and optimism. Modernity began in the Renaissance period and ended sometime in the 20th century when postmodernity took over. We don't really know when postmodernity actually began. Some think World War I, trench warfare, 1918, mustard gas. Others think 1968. I wasn't alive in 1968, but from history, I know it was a pretty messed up year, wasn't it? You know, there was a lot going on in 1968. But we don't really know when post-modernity took over, probably because it didn't happen all at once. Post-modernity probably began in the colleges and the universities and then trickled down to the common culture. Modernity was very optimistic. People thought the 20th century was going to be the Christian century. Everything was going well. But then we had trench warfare and mustard gas, as I just referenced. So postmodernity is not optimistic. It's pessimistic. It's very pessimistic. So here are some quick characteristics of postmodernity. And as I share them, maybe you want to think about, do you observe this in the world today? There is a distrust of authority, somewhat a rebellion. Do you see that going on in our world today? A distrust of authority, a rebellion. I make up of my own religion. I make up my own authority. That's postmodernity at its finest. There's a distrust of truth. Postmodernity would teach there is no truth. They, they, they think up their own truth. We see this with COVID-19, don't we? Everyone is an authority. Even with COVID-19, the person on Facebook is as legitimate as an authority as a scientist with multiple PhDs studying it. In general, think about it. We go to the doctor, and if we don't like the doctor's advice, the doctor's knowledge, we go to the internet, and we think, I'm going to do my own research. I don't agree with the doctor. That is postmodernity. Everybody is an authority. Everybody has their own truth. There is no one view of the world, but a multitude of worldviews. That's another thing about postmodernity. It's not the Judeo-Christian worldview. It's anybody can have their own view of the world. Anybody can, even if it's not based in any truth. Another thing about postmodernity, a pessimistic view that existence is useless. 
That's nihilism, by the way. A pessimistic view that existence is useless. Don't we see that? That's, that's, that's coming from an anti-God worldview. But if you start with God in Genesis 1 and 2, and God created us, and God created us with a purpose, existence isn't useless. Postmodernity would teach that there's a distrust of knowledge. Modernity was all about knowledge. Postmodernity, they think like a global village, don't they? Everything is a soundbite. Books are old-fashioned to postmodernity. Actually, there's a book called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brain, and it even says that Rhodes scholars, like not my scholars, but Rhodes scholars don't even read books. Everything is a soundbite, 160 characters, a tweet. Now, these are commonalities. None of these is tr are true of everyone, but that is a dominant thinking of our world today, and don't we see that evidence? evidenced all around, they will take the student's word over the teacher's, right? They will take the criminal's word over the police officer's. The authority is always wrong, okay? That's postmodernity. Now, the question is, why is it this way? First of all, postmodernity is not all wrong. There are good things. For example, we know that sometimes authorities can be wrong, right? Sometimes you need second opinions and third opinions. It's not all wrong, but it's gone way too far, for sure. However, our world is fallen. Sin has permeated us in our culture. The media is fallen. The news is fallen. The leaders are fallen. Even we in the church are fallen, though redeemed. We have a sin nature too. We've had a sin problem as well. And that's the root of these th things. So let's look at a passage that shows our potential fallenness or depravity. First, a few thoughts. As we look at Romans chapter 1, realize that Paul is pointing people to Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Romans 1 is pointing people to Jesus. Paul and the other inspired writers of the Bible were not afraid to offend people. And this is because we must be aware of our sin so that we realize our need of a Savior. You hear that? Right now, we are in a cancel culture. Our world does not want to be offended. Everybody's afraid of offending someone. Listen, the inspired writers of the Bible were not worried about offending you or me. What they wanted was that we were offended and we recognized, it, we recognized our sin problem and we recognized our need for a Savior and we went to Jesus. I like what one person once said, the facts don't care about your emotions. <laughs> Right? I mean, oftentimes we're changing facts based off of emotions. That's not the way it is in the Bible. I read somewhere, nobody in hell says, I'm glad my feelings were never offended. Preach the gospel. You think about that? Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, I will not believe that you have tasted of the honey of the gospel if you can eat it all by yourself. And isn't that true? How have we tasted of the sweet, pure honey of the gospel if we can eat it all by ourselves and we don't care about sharing the gospel with those around us? In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is pointing people to their need for a Savior. Let's read Romans 1, 18 through 32. Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. You hear that? God made himself evident to people. Now verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Now notice verse 20. Paul is saying... 
Nobody has an excuse. God has made himself evidence in, evident in the creation of the world. Look at verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. This is showing the extent of our fallenness, the extent of our depravity. Look at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over. You're going to see that three times in this passage. God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over. That's the second time that's been here. This reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons a due penalty of their error. Verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over. To a depraved mind. To do those things which are not proper. Notice this. The people kept following the lust of their flesh. Kept following their own ways. So eventually God says. Alright have it your way. And that's part of God's judgment. God is giving them over. And in verse 28. God gave them over to a depraved mind. Apart from Christ. Even our thinking is not trustworthy. Even our thinking, apart from Christ I'm talking about, apart from Christ, even our thinking is not trustworthy. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. You hear that? Even give hearty approval to sin. We see that in our world today, don't we? We applaud sin. We have parades about it. And by the way, we're all sinners saved by grace. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian should be that we are repentant. We don't celebrate sin. We don't celebrate our sin. We hate our sin. We hate those struggles. We hate it. We repent of it. That should be a big difference. But not in the world today. In the world today, we're even seeing sins that are completely, totally irrational. Even, to an, even, even if you're an evolutionist, things that are just unnatural, irrational, don't make sense. Even apart from a biblical worldview, it just doesn't make sense. It's being applauded. It's a mess. And why is it a mess? Because we have a sin problem. That's why it's a mess. I recently read someone has said, the difference between God and us is that God never thinks he is us. You think about that? The difference between God and us is that God never thinks he is us. This passage is about pride. Pride puts us in the place of God and makes us think we can do whatever we want. You hear that? Pride puts us in the place of God and makes us think that we can do whatever we want. We make up our own religion. We cut out things from the Bible, exactly as Thomas Jefferson did. We, we cut out miracles. We cut out certain sin. We cut out things that talk bad about us. We add other things to the Bible. That is pride at its finest. 
Understand that God has set up a way in which we should live, and we have all broken it. We all have dealt with pride in these ways, but this is no excuse to keep living them. We repent of our sins and we move on. We follow godliness. This passage is showing our potential in sin. You hear that? This is our potential in sin. Once, you, once we commit to Christ, we need to live for him. We need to live for Jesus. We need to repent of the sins and aim for Christ. Look, for Je- look at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, as Hebrews 12 says. Live for him. By the way, this list of sins is not complete. It's not exhaustive. Additionally, though these lists are pointing us to Jesus, this also means that Christ followers must work diligently to let the Holy Spirit reign within us so that we don't live in these sins. Follow Jesus. Make Jesus Lord of our life. Pursue him. Walk by the Holy Spirit, as Galatians 5 says. Remember this. We have been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6.20. This passage is about the holiness of God and the wrath of God on sin. These are things that we do not understand, though we must. We must take these seriously. By the way, if you go on to, Revelation, uh, to Romans chapter 2, this is Romans 1. Romans 1 is coming against the Gentile world and how the Gentiles have followed the way of sin. Romans chapter 2, the apostle Paul says, the Jewish people are just as guilty. We all have fallen short of the glory of God, and we all need a Savior. We have been bought with a price. It seems as though there are many sins in this list which we have tried to excuse, and in so doing, we are also excusing our need for a Savior. I'm going to repeat that. It seems as though there are many sins in this list which we have tried to excuse, and in so doing, we are also excusing our need for a Savior. Get this. When we trivialize sin, we are trivializing the holiness of God. When we trivialize sin, we are trivializing the holiness of God, and we are also trivializing Jesus' death on the cross. This passage talks about how people shut God out, and then God gave them over. Look at verse 24. So God gave them over. Verse 26, God gave them over. Verse 28, God gave them over. Notice in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all. God's wrath is revealed against all sin. Verses 19 through 20 are about general revelation. What is known about God is evident. God made himself evident to us. This passage says, this passage says we are without excuse. By the way, isn't that wonderful? God made himself evident in all of creation. And in our pride, we still try to take God out, don't we? Somebody once said, if there was a God, I wish he would just write, write it on, in the sky that there is a God. And guess what he did? He did. Verses 21 through 23 go back to how depraved we are. They knew God but did not honor him. They did not give thanks. You hear that? They did not give thanks. We must be thankful to God. Professing to be wise, they became fools. This is idolatry at its finest. This is in our world today, but before we are too critical of the world, this has been in all of us as well. And some of it probably is still in all of us. If we're honest with ourselves, we all need to repent of any pride, of any sin, as we follow Jesus. We all have a sin problem. Verse 23 continues about idolatry. Verse 24, God gave them over. God gave humanity over to these sins. As we push God out, he eventually says, have it your way. Look at verse 25. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Sound familiar? 
God is to be praised. Don't exchange God's truth for the world's lie. You hear that? Don't exchange God's truth for the world's lie. Verses 26 and 27. The passage says that God gave them over again. Why do people want to do things with the human body that are not natural or right? People are depraved. And God gave them over. That's what this is saying. God let them go. I would argue that this is even part of God's judgment. As we give up God, and as we in pride say, I want it my way, 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 God says, fine, I'll step back. Feelings are not always right because we are fallen, we are depraved, we need divine intervention. In verses 28 through 32, God gave them over to a depraved mind, as I said. This is the extent of fallenness. This is the extent of depravity. Now, the question is, is this passage talking about everyone? Some could look at this and think, this is not me. But yes and no. This passage is showing that we all need Christ. We all need divine intervention. We all need help. This passage shows our potential in sin. This passage shows that apart from Christ, we cannot trust our thinking. Our mind is depraved. Our nature is depraved. We need born again, as John 3 says. However, in Christ, we can be born again and our thinking can be renewed. In Christ, we have all the potential that Christ offers. Our world has fallen. We need divine intervention. Now, let's make some application. Recognize that all the world has fallen. All the world is depraved, and so are we without Christ. What makes people, when I was writing this sermon, I work ahead on sermons, what makes people shoot police officers and then block the ambulance from getting to the hospital? What makes them do something so horrible as that? They are fallen. And in fallenness, they think they have a better idea. They think they have a better idea at a utopian society, right? People think we can create a utopia. We can create perfection on earth, and we can do it on our own, and we don't need God. And it's not working. We need divine intervention. The world is depraved. The world has fallen. What makes people riot, taking a city captive for over 100 days? They are fallen. And in fallenness, they think they have a better idea. Why does the world want to justify and approve sin? They are fallen. They are depraved. Verse 28 says that God gave them over to a depraved mind. I know that's the third time I pointed that out because it's important. Without Christ, every mind is depraved. What makes me do the sins that I have committed in my past? I was fallen, but I serve a risen Savior today. And so can you. And so do you, I hope. Trust in Jesus and point others towards him as well. Who are you trusting in for salvation? Are you recognizing that you need Jesus? Do you recognize that others need Jesus? Are you pointing others to Jesus? I had a few more illustrations, which I'm not going to go over. If you follow the sermons on handouts, I've skipped other things. You can read them on your own if you want. Our mind is depraved. Our thinking is depraved. Our world is depraved. We need Jesus. We cannot rely on our own wisdom. We must rely on God's wisdom and God's help. And remember that God's word is ultimate truth. God is a standard. We need Jesus. Don't miss that. We can't make up our own way. Listen, if you could make up your own way of salvation, Jesus would not have had to die on the cross. 
We need a salvation. We need a savior. We need Jesus. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do truly, truly need you. We truly need your help. And Lord God, I pray for this congregation right now. Help us to remember that you have saved us. You have set us free. Help us to remember to test everything. To live 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 through 22. To test everything. Cling to the good. Pray continually. Hold true to a biblical worldview. Help us to hold fast to your word. And Lord God, if there's anyone listening or watching who does not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day where they confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior, believing in you as the one and only Savior, trusting in you and committing to you. Lord God, we need your help living this Christian life. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sins so that we can repent. We need the Holy Spirit to keep on convicting. Don't, don't let them stop. Don't let us stop. Keep convicting us to the point where we definitely repent. Make us miserable in sin to the point where we repent and we turn to you. Because following, following you is far, far, far better. Help us to walk by the Spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Invite the worship team up for the closing song and prayer.